Good morning. I want to speak about the financial need for 2024. You know, without our financial support, uh, these missions that we're hearing from today and those that we'll hear from next week and all those missions supported by the Markle Church of Christ, um, they can't have uh, the funds to operate that they need uh, without our support. So even though we don't like talking about money, um, unfortunately, that is, uh, that is a very uh, integral part of uh, what we do as the Markle Church of Christ to be able to support. Some of you may not be aware, I know when I first started attending Markle Church of Christ, um, this was something that was foreign to me, so I just wanted, um, I just wanted to explain this. Um, the Markle Church of Christ treats missions totally separate from the general giving budget. It's, it's not part of general giving at all. And that is why during this special time at Faith Promise, uh, during the rally that we talk about giving, we talk about a uh, financial Faith Promise commitment. Um, this is a time when we are asking uh, the missions team of the Markle Church of Christ is asking you to think and pray about God, what God would uh, give through you uh, towards missions in 2024. And you say, well, why are you doing that now? 2024 is a few months away, right? Um, but the missions team likes to take this information, uh, the, the total of the, of the uh, pledged uh, amount, and use that uh, for our budgeting activities uh, that we will be doing over the next few months. So in the pockets of the chairs in front of you, you'll see a light blue card. And uh, I would ask if you uh, would grab one of those right now and pass those around. Um, I don't want you to do anything with this today except for to take it home this week. And I'd like you to pray and think about uh, what God might do through you for the coming year. On the back is a very simple chart um, that helps you to see uh, what, what giving uh, weekly would do uh, for the year. But the pledging is very simple uh, for the Markle Church of Christ. There's two ways to do that. Either uh, write an amount, a total amount for the year on this card and put the, drop this card back in one of the uh, giving boxes that's around the, the center. You can put that in with your, with your offering. Or the other way to do it is online at marklechurch.org. Uh, forward slash, uh, I, I'm sorry, Markle Church uh, forward slash faith promise. You can go right there and do that online. And I know that was kind of preferred way last year. So we appreciate that. I've got a uh, typed statement here that I wanted to read real quick because if I tried to remember this, I would, I would get it all uh, jumbled up. So uh, please uh, excuse me while I read this. Uh, the missions team has once again decided to promote a projected need for 2024 missions giving. The goal is that everyone's combined financial faith promise will meet or exceed this projected need of $230,000. Financial faith promises are what are used to set the budget for the following year. We believe we are being sensitive to the rising costs of inflation impacting everyone. We realize that these same rising costs are impacting our mission partners as well. At the same time, we know we serve a big God that provides for our daily needs and wants us to trust him day by day for his provision. The projected need amount of $230,000 is the amount needed to continue providing the same level of monthly support to many of our mission partners, yet allowing for needed increases to others. The last few years has taught us that the financial faith promises will likely only be a portion of the total amount that will be given for 2024. We thank God for this, and we're continually blessed by your faithfulness and mission giving. This is a strong testimony 
to the importance and the priority that the Markle Church places on missions both across the street and around the world. We know that God is in the middle of faith promise, so it's easy to see that he has continued to bless us abundantly through the sacrificial giving of his people. We have been able to continue to support our missionaries at our committed amounts and have been able to respond to many special needs and special requests. We are thankful for all faith promises and all gifts and truly see them as God's blessing. Each gift given to missions glorifies God. We thank each of you for your contributions to the missions outreach initiatives of the Markle Church, and we ask that you make a 2024 faith promise to be used to help in setting next year's budget. Your MCC missions team will remain faithful and accountable with all faith promise mission funds and special gifts. So again, with that card, I just ask that you take it home this week, that you pray about it, and starting next week, we would like to start receiving uh, those cards, and we will be receiving those throughout the month of September. Thank you. At this time, I have the privilege to, uh, to announce, to introduce our speaker for today. Um, it's Dr. Frank Weller. And before I read this, I just wanted to say, um, you know, I, I met Frank uh, personally a, a year ago when he stood uh, right here in this room and uh, shared a communion meditation with us. And uh, I've just been blessed by this man. Um, he's just, I, I find out that he's, he's been around this area for a long time. Uh, but I think you'll find him a real blessing this morning. Dr. Frank Weller is the 10th president of Great Lakes Christian College. He was born in Garrett, Indiana. Frank became a Christian through the ministry of the First Church of Christ in Garrett, Indiana. Frank and his wife, Tracy, which Tracy is here this morning as well, they met at Great Lakes Christian College in Lansing, Michigan, where he graduated in 1989 with his bachelor's degree in religious education. Frank has continued his studies at Huntington University, where he received a Master's of Arts in 1998. Then in 2018, Frank completed his Doctorate of Ministry at Bethel Seminary in Arden Hills, Minnesota. Frank and Tracy are parents to three children. Abby is a third grade teacher and lives in Melbourne, Australia with her husband, Andrew. Caleb will soon be married to Emily. He owns a wholesale flooring firm. And Jonah is a professional trombonist. His wife, Marissa, is a high school orchestra teacher. Frank and Tracy's greatest joy is that their children love the Lord and each other. Before becoming Great Lakes Christian College president, Frank ministered in Lansing, Michigan, Butler, Indiana, Crawfordsville, Indiana, and Kokomo, Indiana. Frank believes in Great Lake Christian College mission to prepare servant leaders in the church and the world. And he has devoted the remaining years of his life to see that vision grow and impact the kingdom of God. So I introduce Dr. Frank Weller. Hey, thanks, John. Appreciate it, man. Hey, Markle, how we doing? Boy, it's good to be back home again in Indiana. I'm going to find a place to sit this down. How about right here? It's good to be back home again in Indiana. I, I you know, I, I didn't this morning because it was oh dark 30 when we crossed the state line, but I always like to sing, you know, back home again in Indiana when we, uh, when we, when we come home. Uh, and what a great church, what a great history you have of supporting missions and supporting Great Lakes Christian College. Man, I'm so grateful for you and all you do. Wow, thank you, pal. Now I'm going to... 
That wasn't so difficult, but 56 years ago, oh my goodness. I, I, just really thrilled to be here, and so thank you for having us. Here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to take about five minutes and kind of tell you where we're at at Great Lakes Christian College, give you an update, and then we're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 2 for about 20 minutes, 25 minutes, and then we're all going to leave, and we're going to go eat lunch and enjoy this day that the Lord has made. How's that sound? Great Lakes Christian College, been there for just one year. A year ago, I uh, inherited a budget that was kind of in disarray. We were anticipating a $600,000 loss for the year. Uh, We went to work. God has been very good. People have been very generous. And we just finished our fiscal year at the end of June. And instead of a $600,000 loss, we finished the year with a nearly a $275,000 surplus. And so that's just been tremendous. Um, We are excited because it's the first time in 10 years that we've had a balanced budget or a surplus. We know that we've got to continue that trend because there have been 91 colleges like ours that have closed since 2016, talking small faith-based colleges all across the United States. And so we're grateful that God is doing a work at GLCC to help us raise up the next generation of servant leaders for the church and world. This fall, we just started school. This fall, we're seeing an increase in our our attendance, almost a 7% increase in enrollment this fall, which is tremendous for our region where schools are in decline. 12 of the 15 public universities in Michigan are in declining enrollment. Uh, The the private institutions are pretty flat. A 7% increase for us is really something. We're super excited about that. And we think it's gonna even increase as we go into October in our next cycle of online students. So we're seeing growth in attendance. We're seeing more and more people get on board supporting Great Lakes Christian College because they believe, as I do, do that we need to be intentional about sending our students to faith-based institutions where their faith will be supported and encouraged rather than attacked. I am really tired of seeing kids grow up in our churches and go to church camp and go to CIY conferences and be involved in youth group and really grow a strong, vibrant faith and then go off to a university and come home at Thanksgiving and say they're not sure they believe in Jesus anymore. Well, at Great Lakes Christian College, they're going to ask the same kinds of questions that they ask at any other college or university, but they're going to do so in a context where their faith is encouraged, where it's built up, where they're taught to love Jesus by a a faculty that disciple them and care for them, and they can discover their purpose in life uh, in, in that environment. And so just thank you for supporting GLCC. Listen, send us your students, uh, send us um, uh, your prayers. You can stop out afterwards and, and see my wife, Tracy, who works in our enrollment division at our display. In particular, if you have a high school student in your family, uh, we're doing something really special right now, which can enable them to get some college credit at a, at a just a very ridiculously low price, college credit that'll transfer to any college in the United States. And so we'd love for you to stop and, and learn about that dual enrollment opportunity for your students. Because it's all about raising up the next generation of servant leaders for the church and world. And it's about generations that I'd like to talk this morning. As John said, I grew up in Garrett, Indiana, and some of you may be familiar with the area, DeKalb County. If you go to the corner of County Road 68 and County Road 11A in DeKalb County, there's a church there, a little white church building, Cedar Chapel Church. And directly across from Cedar Chapel Church is a cemetery, as you know is the case in many of these rural communities. 
There are five generations of Wellers buried in that cemetery. Someday there'll be a sixth generation buried in that cemetery. And if you stand right at the intersection of County Road 11A and County Road 68 and look at the nearest section of that cemetery, you'll see the the headstone of my third great-grandfather, Joseph Weller. Grandpa Joe came to DeKalb County, came to Indiana in 1861 when he moved here from Champaign County, Ohio. He's buried there, my great-great-grandfather, my great-grandfather, and my grandfather and my dad are all buried in this cemetery. In fact, I have a photograph of, of those uh, four generations. Um, on the, the little guy right here, the baby, that's my dad, Larry. Um, he passed away in 2019. He was an alumnus of Great Lakes Christian College, and he was a preacher in small churches in, in Georgia, in uh, North Carolina, in Michigan, Indiana, and in Ohio. He's sitting on the lap of my great-great-grandfather, Miles Weller, over Miles' left shoulder is my grandpa Floyd, who everybody called Bud. He was a farmer too, school bus driver, like a lot of farmers are, took kids to and from school and then went home and worked on the farm and then went back, picked those kids up, took them home. And then over uh, to, to my grandfather's uh, right is my namesake, Frank E. Weller, my great-grandfather. All of those guys are farmers. All of them are buried in that little cemetery. And I kind of knew that because, you know, I had this picture in my dad's house growing up. I kind of knew who they were, but I really wanted to kind of go back deeper and find out, you know, where do I come from? Where are people from? And so I dug into genealogy. We have anybody here who does genealogy, kind of really enjoys that? Man, you get down that rabbit hole and you can spend days, <laughs> right, going backwards, figuring out where you come from. Well, here's what I learned. My family came to America in 1737. On September 23rd, 1737, my seventh great grandfather stepped off a ship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. His name was Johan. Fortunately, that name didn't stick. We haven't had to name any subsequent generations Johan, but Johan Jacob Weller, he moved from Philadelphia down to through Maryland and into Virginia, and then our people eventually moved from Virginia to uh, central Ohio, Champaign County, Ohio, and then my uh, great, great, great grandfather moved to DeKalb County, Indiana. I mention all of this because I am the first male in the 10 generations directly descended from Grandpa Johan to leave the family farm and go to college. And as it happens, I went to Great Lakes Christian College and it changed my trajectory. I think if you want to know where you're going, it helps to know where you come from. I think if you want to know what kind of progress you've made, it helps to know where you started. And that's why I've enjoyed the study of genealogy. I got to tell you, I kind of wish, you know, there's that whole, um, that whole biological genealogy. Um, I kind of wish there was a way to, to figure out spiritual ancestry. You know, I did the whole Ancestry.com thing. I really enjoyed it. But I wish there was like a spiritual Ancestry.com. You know what I mean? Where you could figure out kind of where your people come from. And I mean, I know a little bit about where I come from. Um, uh, my dad taught me about Jesus. My dad learned about Jesus from a preacher named Jim Platner. 
who was the preacher at First Church of Christ in Garrett, Indiana. I called Jim up. Jim's still with us. He's still alive. Uh, Hardy and Hale, and uh, just a, a really great guy. I mean, I love Jim so much. And he was at, at Great Lakes Christian Homes. He was the chaplain there for a while. And now he and his wife, Pat, are back into Cobb County. And I called Jim up and I said, Jim, tell me about the people who taught you about Jesus. Because, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by this whole spiritual ancestry thing. And so he began to tell me about people, you probably don't know them, they're Michigan folks, but people with names like Highgates and Hank McAdams and, and, and Lee Doty. And he went on to talk to, about some brothers of his, some spiritual brothers, that when he first got out of college, that he really looked up to, men who helped him mature and grow in ministry. Some of them you might know, uh, guys like John Paul Hill and Jerry Paul and Bob Yawberg, men that he looked up to who just had a huge impact in his life. And you know, I think about that. I think about my children who are walking with the Lord, and they learned about Jesus from their mom and from me. And I think about how I learned about Jesus from my dad, and my dad learned about Jesus from Jim Platner, who baptized him when he was 35 years old. And Jim learned about Jesus from people like Louis Detrow and Hank McAdams and Highgate's and you know what I, uh, you know what it just intrigues me? If we could find out who taught those people and, and, and then the people who taught them and who taught them and who taught them, we'd be able to trace that spiritual ancestry, that spiritual genealogy, all the way back through the early church fathers to one of the apostles, to Jesus himself. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's the line you're descended from. Somebody taught you, and that's why you know about Jesus. But somebody taught someone who taught someone who taught someone who taught someone else who taught you. And there's a principle in play there that I think we all need to take on board today. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to latch on to this principle that I'm going to give you. You need to wrap your head around it. You need to carry it out of here. You need to make it sort of your battle cry for the coming week. I hope, you, I hope it kind of marinates in your subconsciousness all week long. I hope you're thinking about this because this principle is important. Without this, you know, church, if you don't practice this principle, the future of the church could be in jeopardy. If you do practice this principle, if we would all get on board as followers of Jesus and take this principle on and practice this principle, I believe that our communities could be one to Jesus Christ. I believe that, that our, our nation could be one to Christ. The world could be one to Christ if we just follow this principle. Maybe the most important thing you hear all week. So I want you to take it on. You ready? Here it is. Here's the principle. Christians stand in the middle. Christians stand in the middle. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're called to stand in the middle. You're called to stand in the middle between the person who taught you about Jesus and the person who needs to hear about Jesus. Christians stand in the middle. There's a terrific example of this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. We're going to camp out in one verse today, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. I want you to see this principle because this principle... Uh, is embodied in a relationship between Paul, the apostle, and Timothy, his young protege. Timothy, who was the preacher at the church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey now. Timothy was the preacher there. Paul was his mentor. And Paul 
gave him just some great advice about standing in the middle, and that's what I'd like us to take a look at today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Let's look at it together. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. We're just going to unpack that verse by verse, and then we're all going to go eat lunch. All right, or I should say phrase by phrase, and then we're going to go eat lunch. The first thing Paul says, the things you have heard me say. The things you've heard me say. I, I used to tell students when I taught homiletics, you need to read what's in the text, but you also need to understand what is implied in the text or what might be overlooked in the text. And what's implied by this phrase is that Timothy was listening. I want you to catch that. Timothy was listening. He was paying attention. And Paul knew that. We live in a world today where people struggle to listen. In fact, the economists uh, tell us that the most valuable commodity today, the most valuable currency today in America is no longer money. The most valuable currency in America today is no longer time. The most valuable currency in America today is attention. In fact, economists call it the attention economy. Because economists know if they can catch your attention, then the money and the time will follow. Attention is the big currency today. And I don't know about you, but I face a lot of distractions in life. It seems like everyone and everything is competing for my attention. And sometimes it's hard for me just to pause long enough to listen to what the Lord might have for me because I struggle to pay attention. Here's how we know that attention is a more valuable currency than money because the average Christian, you take all the Christians in the world and you, you figure out how much they donate to the church or to Christian causes, you divide that up, you get a percentage of income. The average Christian in America gives 2.5% of their income to the church, to the work of the kingdom. But they only give 0.9% of their time, their attention to the work of the kingdom. There was a study put out by the National Study of Youth and Religion that uh, said that teenagers, on average, spend about 60 minutes a day surfing the Internet. Teenagers, you tell me, is that high or low? 60 minutes a day. The average Christian spends about nine minutes a day on things of faith. We're having a hard time paying attention, but I'm telling you, if you're going to stand in the middle between the generation that taught you about Jesus and the one that needs to hear about Jesus, you're going to have to pause long enough to pay attention to what the Lord wants you to hear. Timothy got that. Timothy stood in the middle. Paul said, the things you've heard me say, now look at this, in the presence of many. Let's just take a look at that phrase for just a moment, in the presence of many. It, it's important for us to understand that Timothy was listening in the context of a community. In other words, Timothy was part of a church. I want you to catch that. There's no such thing as a lone ranger in the Christian church. You can't stand in the middle if you're all by yourself. There's got to be people on either side of you. Timothy understood that in order to stand in the middle, you were part of a church. And Americans in particular, American Christians in particular, are having trouble attending church. There was a study done just before the pandemic, and it said that 45% of Christians attended church weekly in America. 
45% of Christians. Less than half attend church weekly in America. Now, they've done studies subsequently, subsequent to the pandemic, rather. You tell me, after the pandemic, has that number gone up or down? Yeah, that's right. Uh, Less than one in four Christians post-pandemic attend church every week. Less than one in four. Now, here's here's where I I struggle. Uh, As followers of Jesus, we claim to be people of the book, right? The book says it, we do it. So what does it mean when one in four Christians in America go to church every week, and yet the book says, do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other all the more as you see the day of the Lord's appearing approach. Timothy got that. Timothy understood that. Timothy was in community. And if you're going to stand in the middle, you're called to be in community too. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. I want to camp on just one word for just, just a moment. That word where we get our English word witness is the Greek word that sounds very similar to and also can be translated as martyr. Right? That's the kind of witnesses that Paul was talking about. He's talking about the kind of witnesses who are so faithful to Jesus that they've said, I would rather die than give up my faith in Jesus Christ. Those are the kinds of witnesses that we need standing in the middle. And man, when you look at church history, you see the early church fathers living lives of witness just like that. We know that that Peter was martyred for his faith. But before Peter gave up his life rather than give up Jesus, he told a man named Clement about Jesus. Clement, tradition says, went on later to become a a church leader in the church at Rome. Clement was a godly man, and he too was challenged to give up his faith in Jesus Christ. He too was told he had to renounce his faith in Jesus. Rather than do that, Clement was tied to an anchor that was cast into the ocean and drowned. But before Clement bore witness to Jesus by being martyred, he told a man named Ignatius about Jesus. Ignatius, we're told, was also instructed to give up Jesus, uh, give up his faith in Jesus, and rather than do that, he was sent to the Roman Colosseum where the emperor Trajan had arranged a spectacle for the people of Rome. Ignatius was herded into the Colosseum along with other Christians, and wild beasts were set upon them for the entertainment of the Roman citizenry. He chose that kind of death rather than give up his faith in Jesus. But before Ignatius died that way, he told a man named Polycarp about Jesus. Polycarp, we're told, um, uh, was, was actually martyred by being set on fire. And tradition says that when he didn't die quickly enough, they stabbed him with spears. But before Polycarp lost his life, he told a man named Irenaeus about Jesus. And then Irenaeus told someone who told someone who told someone else who, I don't know, a uh, hundred generations later, told Jim Platner, who told my dad, who told me. Because faithful people stood in the middle. Faithful people who would rather give up their lives than give up Jesus. 
stood in the middle. That's why I know about Jesus. That's why my children know about Jesus. And friends, that's why you need to stand in the middle between those who went before and those who went after. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people. You know what's implied here that we might miss easily? If Paul says, hey, Tim, you got to trust entrust this stuff to reliable people. The very fact that he says entrust to reliable people presupposes that there must also be unreliable people. Which are you? Which are you? Reliable people do all these things that, you know, we've just, we've just looked at. You know, they're part... They're listening. They're paying attention. They're part of a community. They would rather give up their life than give up their faith. That's the kind of reliable person that stands in the middle. The things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people. And and then here's the qualifier. Here's another qualifier for reliable. Who will also be qualified to teach others. And here's where I think many of us get tripped up. I think many of us have the heart to stand in the middle. I think many of us have the desire to stand in the middle. Many of us are grateful for the person who stood in the middle for us so that we could hear about Jesus. And and because of that gratitude, we want to stand in the middle for others. But when we see a word like qualified, boy, the enemy will whisper in your ear, hey, you're not qualified. You're not smart enough. You're not experienced enough. You're not educated enough. You're not reliable enough. That's what the enemy will whisper in your ear. You know those times when you feel like you should stand in the middle, right? When you feel like, boy, I really want to tell that person about Jesus. Or I see a way that that person's living that if they would, if they just, you know, follow what God's word says would really bless them and bless their family and make a material difference in their life. And, you know, you feel led to do that. And the Holy Spirit's kind of tugging on your heart, right? And you want to stand in the middle between the person who told you and the person who needs to hear about Jesus. What will happen instantly is the enemy's going to say, you're not enough. And when that happens, here's what I want you to do. Number one, I want you to understand that the same Holy Spirit who dwelled within Peter and Clement and Ignatius and Polycarp and Irenaeus and Jim Platner and my dad and me, the same Holy Spirit that enabled them to stand in the middle dwells within you, Christian. You have everything you need because you have the Holy Spirit. You have everything you need to stand in the middle. You are enough because the Holy Spirit, if you're a follower of Jesus now, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells within you and you have enough, you are enough to stand in the middle. Christians stand in the middle. At the end of the day, Standing, we, we can make this so much more difficult than it needs to be. We can make this so much more difficult than it needs to be because at the end of the day, standing in the middle is, is, is really just about teaching someone how to walk. That's what it is. Do you remember when you learned how to walk? You remember? You remember your parents sat you down and they said, listen, 
Jimmy, today you're going to learn how to walk. Uh, here's what you're going to do. First of all, you have to stand up, right? You're going to, you're going to stand vertically, and then you're going to work on balance. And then what, what happens is you put one foot out, and then you begin to shift your weight from heel to ball of your foot to the next foot. And, and when you feel, you kind of get that, remember, tip one, they gave you walking lessons, right? Right? Is that how it worked for you? Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Let me, let's look at it this way then. Uh, rewind. For those of you who are parents, do you remember when you taught your kid how to walk? Now, Tracy and I, when we taught our kids how to walk, we wanted to get it right, and so we went to the local community college, and we signed up for teaching your kids how to walk, the beginner course. And uh, it was helpful. It was good. Uh, we saw some great, you know, videos. And, and by the way, I would just say this, uh, you know, here's what's great. You don't have to, to go to the community college anymore. You can just go to YouTube, and you can look up a YouTube now teaching your kid how to walk, right? Some of you probably did that, didn't you? No, that's not what you did. Let me tell you what you need to teach your kid how to walk. Index fingers, right? And the ability to bend over. That's how we taught our kids to walk. I'm guessing that's how you learned. That's probably how you teach your kids. You put your fingers out, and what do they do? You don't have to even tell them, do they? Just grab on, right? And you just start to walk. And you, before you know it, they've learned how. See, that's what standing in the middle is. You've walked with Jesus a while. You've learned some things. In fact, you probably learned how to walk by watching others walk with Jesus. You saw how that person walked with Jesus, and you said, you know what, that... I, I, I like the way she walks with Jesus. I think I'm going to try to walk like that too. And all I'm asking you to do now is find someone who maybe doesn't walk quite as well as you. Connect with that person. Get involved in his life or her life. And just show that person how to walk. That's what we do at Great Lakes Christian College. We stand in the middle teaching young people, helping them to become servant leaders in the church and world. That's what you do when you write a check out to Markle Church of Christ for Faith Promise. You're standing in the middle so that people can learn how to walk. That's what you do when you send your student to youth group. You're putting them around people who know how to walk with Jesus so that they can learn how to walk. That's what you do when you're in an adult Bible fellowship group or you're in a small group. You're spending time with other people who walk with Jesus so you too can learn how to better walk with Jesus because Christians are called to stand in the middle. I want to pray with you and for you. God, Thank you for sending uh, my dad to teach me about Jesus and sending Jim to teach my dad about Jesus and sending Highgates and Hank McAdams and Lee Doty and Louis Detro to teach my dad about Jesus and sending someone to teach them and someone who taught that person and someone who taught that person before. I thank you for the, the faithful witness of a thousand generations who've stood in the middle 
to show us how to walk like Jesus. God, give us the courage we need to teach others to walk. We know we have your Holy Spirit. Sometimes we just lack boldness. Lord, help us to be bold in our faith. Bless this church, Lord, as they come alongside of missionaries throughout the world who are telling other people and showing them how to walk with Jesus. Bless them as they teach the next generation of people right here in Markle and in this surround, in the surrounding communities how to walk with Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as we're faithful, as we stand in the middle, the world might be one to your Son. It's through Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you, friends.